Well, amen, amen, amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I'm sure that you do, I want you to take them out and go to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 6 is where we are uh, this morning. And uh, have y'all been blessed already this morning? Have y'all been blessed this morning? Man, it was really good worship. Thank you so much, worship team. Thank you. Acts chapter 6 is where we are uh, this morning as we continue our series uh, simply called Acts the Unstoppable uh, Church. And um, as you are turning there, just want to share just a couple of things uh, with you. Um, uh, number one, I want to let you know that uh, this Thursday um, I go to have my uh, three-month uh, scans. And so I will have a um, MRI, a CT scan, and a PET scan on Thursday. So I, I cover your prayers. Um, but uh, I I still believe and uh, am very thankful that, that God is Jehovah Rapha. He is the healer. Amen? And so we believe that, but uh, I still covet, covet your prayers as that will take place um, uh, this Thursday, and that's just the life, and you know what? God is good. Amen? God is good. Well, in Acts chapter 6, as you have turned there, I want to ask you a question. How do you handle unfair accusations? How do you handle it when somebody pushes you back? How do you handle it when somebody questions your faith or they attack you or they question your decisions that you make that you believe are based upon God's word, upon the spirit? How do you handle when people push you back? Several years ago, uh, I was playing a pickup basketball game uh, with my brother and his friend, uh, Tim Schwartz. May the Schwartz be with you. <laughs> if you know that movie, I will buy you coffee. And um, anyways, but we were playing at the Texas Tech Rec Center, and uh, a group of three guys came in, and they wanted to play us, and they asked if they could play against us. We said yes. That was the wrong thing to say. We should have said no because um, me, my brother, and Tim, we were terrible. Um, we shot the ball like Walt Kennerly and we dribbled like Reese Haley. We were bad. We were just bad. We were terrible. Well, anyways, one of the players who was guarding me and I was guarding him, um, he began to talk a lot of smack to me. Smack means he was talking trash to me, and he was getting into my face, and he began to say some very unpleasant words. Now, I'm on offense. I've got the ball. He's on defense, and he's saying some very unpleasant words to me. I'm already frustrated that we are getting destroyed, and he's saying these words to me, and then he ends his statement with these words. What are you going to do, redhead? <laughs> Um, so in that moment, uh, I chose not to be controlled by the Spirit. Um, I put the ball down, and boom, I Mike Tysoned him. I dotted his eye, and then I ran off the court like a girl. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's the true story. I took off. I took off. And, uh, but it felt so good. It felt so good. Um, 
Well, that night, uh, my brother and I, we went to a basketball game at Texas Tech to watch the Texas Tech Red Raiders play basketball. And guess who sat next to us? <laughs> that guy who I dotted his eye and his really big older brother. <laughs> Needless to say, we had some really nice conversation and my brother and I ended up sitting in some other seats to watch the rest of the game. But I can tell you, I did not respond well when I was attacked. And I think if we're honest with one another, and that's a silly illustration, because what we're really talking about is when we are attacked spiritually. Are you with me? And if we're honest with ourselves, we would probably give ourselves an F when we've been pushed back against. Amen? We've, we haven't done well. When we've been attacked, our faith has been questioned or our decisions have been belittled. And if we're honest, we haven't done a really, really good job. Well, in our text this morning in Acts chapter 6, we see a man by the name of Stephen who gives us a great example on how to respond when you've been pushed back. What do you do when you are attacked for your faith? Now the purpose of Acts chapter six is this. The, the, the purpose is this, we are seeing the spread of the gospel. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, he said this, that you will be my witnesses, or when you receive power, you'll be my witnesses first where in Jerusalem, and then to Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. So far in our study in the book of Acts, we have only made it to Jerusalem. Something has to happen in order for the gospel to go from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. And in Acts chapter 6, we begin to see this. Because we begin to see people for the first time in church history, which the church had not been, is not very old at this point, but for the first time in church history, the people push back. I believe today's message is extremely important. Would you agree? Because we're, li we're living in a time when the people are starting to do what? They're starting to push back. And we're starting to feel a lot of pressure here in the United States as believers in Jesus Christ. Now, I don't believe that we have experienced persecution per se. I think that's coming. Aren't you glad? I think that's still coming. We haven't experienced the, the persecution that, uh, that believers in China or the Far East or in India or in, or in Russia, we haven't experienced the persecution they are experiencing, but we are feeling the pressure. Amen? You and I feel the pressure to conform to the patterns of this world. Amen? We feel the pressure to be silent, to not share our faith. We feel the pressure to not tell people what Jesus says. We feel the pressure to keep quiet and not to say anything and just to go along with the flow so we don't rock the boat. To rock the boat. And here's the reality, I'm guilty of that as well. There's moments when I give in to the pressure and I don't say anything. 
And there's moments when you give in to the pressure and you don't do anything. But we live in a time where we are under pressure. There are some of you, when you go to the office, you go to work, your boss may ask you to do something that is unethical, it's ungodly, and you have a decision to make. That's pressure. That's your livelihood, that's pressure. Some of you may experience moments where you're with uh, whom you think are your friends and the next thing you know they begin to gossip. Next thing you know they're telling um, uh, bad stories, dirty jokes, and, and they're all laughing and there's something going on in your mind and your heart going, I don't need to be laughing about this, but there's a pressure that you smile and you shake your head and there's pressure that you don't run away. Anybody with me this morning? There's pressure. And we don't discount that. But we need to know how to handle this. We need to know what to do. We need to know what to do when we are pushed back. And here's the reality, and students, you need to listen to this, and I encourage you to listen. Middle school, high school, college students, you listen, because you're going to experience pressure that I've never experienced in my life. You need to know. You need to know what to do. Because this is all part of God's plan. The persecution of God's people has always been a part of God's plan. How many of you like that plan? I don't. But it's the truth. It's the reality. And God, as we see here in Acts chapter 6, and we'll see through the rest of the book of Acts, God often used pushbacks, persecutions, to further his kingdom. How do we respond when something or somebody pushes back to us? Well, Acts chapter 6, look at verse number 8, and let's read God's word this morning, and we're going to stop along uh, through these verses as we teach on this, and then I want to conclude with three things that that I believe that we ought to do from our uh, example that we see in this man named Stephen. And if everybody's with me this morning, say amen. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Follow along in your copy of God's Word. And it says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Now, who is this Stephen? Who is this man named Stephen? He is one of the most interesting men in the New Testament. His story is short. It only takes two chapters, uh, six, actually one chapter, well, one and a half, parts of six, all of seven, a little bit in in chapter eight. Uh, Hebrews will talk about him. But his story is very short, but it's very intense. It's a lot like a shooting star. You see a shooting star, it is, it is short, it is quick, but it is brilliant. And everybody who sees a, short, a shooting star, you go, wow. When you read the story of Stephen, you go, wow, this is, this is a man that I want to be like. I don't want to be stoned, but I want to be like this guy. This guy is intense, but he is truly a man of God. There's a couple of things we want to know about him as we read his story. Uh, the first thing we need to know about Stephen is this. He is known as a servant leader. We read that in the early parts of Acts chapter 6 when the early church, uh, they came into a problem. Uh, the apostles said, we need men to help us with this problem. So the church, the congregation, uh, selected seven men who are full of wisdom. And one of those men was a man by the name of Stephen. Stephen. 
And so we know that Stephen is a servant leader. In other words, he served tables. He took care of the widows. He solved the problem within the early church. Stephen was willing to get his hands dirty to make sure that there is unity within the church of Jesus Christ. He's a servant leader. What we'll read today is this, that he was full of grace, he's full of power, he's full of spirit, and we'll, take, we'll read more about that in just a moment. In Acts chapter 7, we read that Stephen is a powerful communicator. Acts chapter 7 is the longest speech or the longest sermon in the book of Acts. It takes about 53 uh, verses, and um, he is powerful when he speaks. And then the last thing we learn about Stephen is, or, or one of the things we learn about Stephen is this, he is the first martyr in the Christian church era. Whenever you say the name Stephen, most of the people are going to remember that he was the first martyr, that he was stoned to death. And if you remember, we know that somebody who shows up in the book of Acts later was at Stephen's stoning, and that man's name was Paul. Paul saw this. Paul knows this man, Stephen. He knows him. But Stephen was, a, was the first martyr. And Stephen's name, this is an interesting thing. Stephen's name in Greek is Stephanos. And it means this, it means a crown. It literally means a wreath placed around your head given to those who are victorious. That's what it means. Often in the Greek, um, ancient Greek Olympic Games, uh, whenever the winner uh, would cross the line, he was given a crown, the Greek word Stephanos. So the name Stephen literally means the one who has received a crown. The scholars would go on to say then the book of James and the book of Revelation uh, the author James and, and, and John talk about the crown of life given to those who have given their lives for Jesus. Scholars call that Stephen's crown. That when you give your life to Jesus and you are martyred for the faith, here's what happens in God's eyes, here's what happens in eternity. If you are martyred for the faith, you're given a crown. It's called Stephen's crown, the crown of life. Well, this is this man named Stephen. He was full of grace. He's full of power. He performed great signs, great wonders among the people. Well, look at verse number eight. Excuse me, look at verse number nine. Because here in verse number nine, this is one of the biggest transitions all in the book of Acts. Right here, out beside verse number nine, you need a right transition. This is huge. The church is growing. Stephen has power, signs are being performed by Stephen, but in verse number nine, something happens and people began to push back. Look at verse nine, but, that's a term of contrast right here, but some men from, from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia. Does anybody know the name Cilicia? Do you know somebody who came from Cilicia? Saul of Tarsus. So again, I told you Paul knows Stephen. There's a good bet that Paul is already pushing against Stephen right here, already. 
And so you have all of these men, the synagogue of the freedmen, and it says at the end of verse number nine that they rose up and they argued with Stephen. The idea is this word rose up literally means they jumped to their feet angry. They were enraged. It says that they argued with Stephen. And again, that word argued, it literally means they interrupted Stephen and they yelled at him. They could not let him finish what he was saying, and they were just yelling at him. But here's the great thing about Stephen, and and men, I want you to listen to this thing about Stephen. Here's the great thing. Even though they began to yell at him, they could not stop him. And I want to let you know, men, and I'm speaking men to specifically because of this. Sometimes men, when people yell back at us, we'll do one of two things. We will either attack, we'll dot somebody's eye, or we run away like a little girl. Neither one of those are the right options, amen? What the option that we need to do is what Stephen does. You stay there and you fight under the Spirit's control. Men. This culture is going after you. This culture is going after you. In 2018, the American Psychological Association, for the first time in all of history, wrote on how to guide and counsel young men and young women on the idea of masculinity. They said this, that biblical, uh, uh, traditional masculinity is toxic and harmful. Men, this world's coming after you. You're being pushed back. You're being pushed back against by this world saying, you're not a man, you can't do anything, you are toxic, you are harmful, and you are hurtful. Men, listen to me, you don't buy that. Don't buy it. You don't dot their eye, you don't run away, you stay firm. Are you with me? Men, are you with me? You stay there. You be a Stephen, and you let them argue with you. You let them yell at you, but you stand firm. Your wives would appreciate that. Isn't that right, ladies? All right, the ladies are pretty loud, men. They're pretty loud. Well, look at how he stands firm in verse 10. But they were unable to cope with him. They couldn't stand up to him. They couldn't handle Stephen. Why? Because he spoke with wisdom and with the Spirit. Meaning he was attacked, he was confronted, he was pushed back up against, and here's what Stephen did. He spoke with wisdom, and he was in the spirit of the living God, and he was powerful. That's what Stephen did. It reminds me of the story of a a man by the name of David Brainerd. Anybody ever heard of the name David Brainerd? If you haven't heard of him, it's one biography you need to read about. He was a contemporary of Jonathan Edwards in the 1800s. David Brainerd was a uh, missionary um, in the northeastern part of the United States, and um, he wanted to share the gospel with Indians up in the northeast. He was a powerful speaker. 
a gifted um, individual, much like Stephen, whenever he spoke, he spoke with grace and he spoke with power. So the story goes that one time David makes it to this group of Indians that he did not know their language. And so what David did is he hired an interpreter. He said, I'm going to preach the gospel. And he said to the interpreter, you need to be here at such and such time, such and such place, and you need to interpret for me. And the story goes that uh, they all showed up, had all of the, uh, the, the, the Indians there, and David's ready to preach, and his interpreter shows up drunk as a skunk. <laughs> you know what David did? Started preaching. And he'd look at the interpreter. And David preached the gospel through a drunk interpreter. Story goes at the end that David said this, I had no idea what he said. But the story goes on to say this, that once David completed his sharing of the gospel of Jesus Christ, hundreds of Indians came to know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior. Afterwards, the story goes on like this. Somebody said, how in the world did David speak with power when he had a drunk interpreter? And the response was this, and I think this was great. The response was this. David's power was not through the interpreter. David's power was from the time that he spent with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and he stayed in the presence of his heavenly Father. That's the power we want. That's the power we desire. That's the power that when we are, when we are pushed back against, when we, are, um, when we are attacked because of our faith, when we are attacked because of our, our, our decisions, it's the power of Jesus Christ and of your intimate relationship with him that you have spent time on your knees in the presence of the Almighty God so that when people push back against you, you respond with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it comes, it comes from you being in this deep, intimate, close relationship to the Heavenly Father. Many of us, we fail when we are attacked. It's because we're not spending time with the Heavenly Father in one-on-one intimate discipleship with Him. And we go, I wonder why I don't have power. I wonder why I can't stand up against the ones who who critique me and who attack me. Well, I'll tell you why. You're not spending time with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who has all the power. If you want power, spend time with the one who has the power. Because when you spend time with him, he will fill you. He will fill you with his spirit. He will empower you, and he will give you wisdom to speak. As a matter of fact, when you look at verse uh, 9 and verse 10 here in Acts chapter 6, what you see is this. This is a fulfillment of what Jesus said what took place. In Luke chapter 21, Jesus said these words. Jesus said this, just know this, they're going to lay hands on you. They're going to take you, they're going to drag you, they're going to deliver you to the synagogues and to the prisons. They're going to do that. And Jesus says, and you're going to be brought before the kings, you're going to be brought before the governors, and you're going to be brought before them because of my name's sake. And then Jesus says this, but this will be an opportunity for you to bear witness to my name. You had that opportunity. When you're pushed back up against, when you're attacked, you have an opportunity to bear witness to the name which is above every other name. That's the name of Jesus Christ. And here's what Jesus says. Y'all listening? Here's what Jesus says. He says, you don't worry about what you're going to say. 
I'm gonna give you the words. But folks, how are you gonna know his words if you ain't in the word? Are you with me? You wanna stand up to attacks and you wanna be as Stephen, full of grace and power. You know the word of God. We sing about it, it's our firm foundation. It's here where you find it well. Are y'all still with me this morning? This is good, isn't it? I think so. So look at verse 10 again. They can't stand against Stephen. So when they can't stand against him, look what they do in verse 11. They slander him. Isn't that just like the world? If they can't take you down, they're gonna give you a bad name. Right? Is that not our culture today? We can't take you down, so we're going to badmouth your name. Folks, that is, that is as old as time, what Satan's doing. That's nothing new. It's not unique to you. It's not unique to us. That's how Satan works. He's going to attack you and your decisions. Then he's coming after your name. Right here, verse 11. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Just know this. These guys aren't playing fair. The world doesn't play fair. They will pull out every single trick against you. They will come up with every scheme against you. And the world will even use scripture against you. Are you with me? The, script, the world using scripture incorrectly, out of context, without understanding, will use it against you. Do you know why I know that? Because it's exactly what they did right here. In verse 11 says, we said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Now, why is this a big deal, what these men say? Why is this a big deal? It's a big deal because if you live according to the letter of the law and not grace, as the New Testament encourages us and tells us to live, if you live according to the law, Leviticus chapter 24 verse 16 says this, if you hear anybody speak blasphemous words against God, he is to be stoned. So what are the Pharisees doing here? They're using the letter of the law incorrectly to condemn that which is right. Are you with me? Are you with me? They're using it incorrectly. And little do the, do the, do the Pharisees know, little do they know is that the one who came to, to fulfill the law was just recently nailed to the cross, put in a grave, and rose from the dead. They don't realize that. And so they come after Stephen and say, listen man, we've heard you say blasphemous words against Moses and against God. By the way, did you know the order of their words? Who did they say they blasphemed first? Does that give you a picture of something? Are they really concerned about blasphemous words against God? No. 
They're more concerned about their traditions, their culture, their way of life. And somebody, Stephen, full of grace and full of power, full of life from on high, he has come in, he has stepped on their toes, he doesn't play according to their game, and they said this, you got to do it our way. If you don't do it our way, we are going to kill you. Well, isn't this exciting? Well, look what they do. Verse 12. They still couldn't get to him. In verse 12, and they stirred up the people, which means they went outside and began to badmouth Stephen, badmouth the gospel, and they stirred up the crowd. Anytime you read in scripture about a crowd of people being stirred up, it's always attributed to the Pharisees whose father is none other than the devil. Listen to that. Anytime there's a stirring up of the people, it comes from those who keep the letter of the law whose father is the devil. They stirred up the, uh, they stirred up the people, verse 12. It's the first time in church history the people have turned against God's people. They stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. Verse 13, they put forward false witnesses who said, this man incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law. Verse 14, for we have heard him say, this Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. Have you ever heard of a kangaroo court? You ever heard of, you know what a kangaroo court is, right? It's where koala bears go to get their legal matters settled. That's what it means. <laughs> not really. Not really. Little humor. By the way, do you know what a king, kangaroo's favorite music is? Hip-hop. So anyways, it's a... <laughs> a kangaroo court is a court of people or a group of people who throw out the law and make up the law themselves. It's not fair. It's not right. It's not justice. But what do you see happen to God's people right here? They're in a kangaroo court. And you know what's going to happen? It's going to cost him his life. Because you know why? Won't you listen? Students, listen to me. College students, listen. Young people, listen to me. Life's not fair. Believers in Christ, children of God, listen to me. Life's not fair. It's not. It's not fair. You will have bad things happen to you. It will not be justice. It will not be right. It is immoral, it is unethical, it, there is nothing right about it, but guess what? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And it's going to happen, it's going to happen, um, and it's going to get progressively worse for believers in Jesus Christ. Well, that's just the story. That's the story of the New Testament. Jesus says this, and even Paul begins to allude to it. He says this, that in the end times, people will accumulate teachers who just tickle the ears. What does that mean? It means this, that people want to hear stuff that just makes them feel good. Listen, I don't want to make you feel good this morning. A little bit. But are you with me? And we have to be ready for this. 
We can't live in this fairy tale world that says, you know what, man, life is gonna be great, life is gonna be wonderful, everything is gonna go my way, here's my plan, da 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 da, and it's gonna be great at the end of my life, I'll have no problems, I'll have no issues, and everything, I'll be married, have two kids, have this beautiful place, it'll be wonderful. Listen, life doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. But the reality is for me and for you as followers of Jesus Christ is more in line with what happens to Stephen. You tell the truth and then you're getting thrown into a kangaroo court. And you're lied about, you're slandered, you're rejected. That's more the reality of being a believer in Jesus Christ. And so doesn't it make sense when Jesus says, if you're going to come to me, know this, you need to die to yourself. You need to die to yourself. You need to pick up my cross, and you need to follow me me daily. Because listen, because you're going to be handed over. You're going to be handed over to the synagogues. You're going to be handed over to the governors. You're going to be handed over to the government. And you're going to be questioned on what you believe. Listen, you're going to be questioned what you've been putting on Facebook and on social media. You're going to be questioned about that. That's where we're headed. And we're all on this side of heaven. We as believers in Jesus Christ, we are all headed to a kangaroo court just like Stephen. That's where we're headed. That's your destiny. Pastor, relax. (laughs) Texas Tech won yesterday. (laughs) Well, what verse am I on right now? You weren't even paying attention, were you? What verse? 15, all right. Well, What does Stephen do, and what do we do? Look what Stephen does in verse 15. And fixing their gaze on him. Now mind you, the synagogue has around 71, 80, 90 people in the synagogue. And Stephen's in the middle. Okay? They're going after him, going after him. Attack, 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 attack and they fix their gaze upon him. The idea in Greek in fixing their gaze upon him is they are not looking upon him favorably. They have a mean face. They are angry. They are spitting mad. And all who were sitting in the council, all, almost a hundred of them, saw his face like what? like the face of an angel. They saw his face like the face of an angel. In Greek, and we'll see this later on in Acts chapter 7 as well, two different times it says pretty much the same thing about, about Stephen. This is what it says, his face glowed He glowed. He's being attacked, criticized, ridiculed, made fun of. And in his arena, all eyes are upon him, and all a hundred of them are against him. Nobody's for Stephen. They are pushing back hard. 
they're attacking. And there's our man, Stephen, and he glows. He's not dotting people's eyes. He's not running away. He's showing them where he's already been. In the presence of the king, he glows. Can you not just visually, mentally see that picture? You know, being a redhead, when all eyes are upon me, I have a tendency, or just physically my body does this, my, my face goes red. And I can feel it. It starts at the bottom of my neck, goes up, the next thing you know, my ears are on fire. And don't ever tell me, what are you gonna do about it, redhead? I'll dot your eye and run like a girl. But oh, oh, to have our face shine like an angel. Because we have been in the presence, continual presence of the Almighty God. That we understand that, that what is happening to us has already been foretold, has already been prophesied, and that you're in the middle of fulfilling Jesus' words. <laughs> wow. That our faces would shine like an angel. That word angel, angelos, it's actually root word for you angelion. You know what that word means? It means evangelist. Stephen's face shone like somebody who shares the good news. Well, what do we do? Let me give you three things and we're going to be done. Three things of what we can do, we learn from Stephen on when you are pushed back, when you are attacked, what do you do? Number one, you maintain a spirit-controlled life. You cultivate that spirit-filled life. You know the old story that, that whatever you put inside of you, whenever you're pressed down and wherever you're pushed against, that's what's going to come out of you, right? It's like a sponge. Whenever you fill that sponge with water and you push that sponge down, what's going to come out? Water. Whatever you put inside of you, when pressure comes, you're under pressure, guess what's going to come out? And students, we know, and everybody know, and your pastor knows this, that when pressure comes and we see some not-so-nice things come out of you, we know what you've been putting in. Are you with me? But on the other side, we know that when you've been pressed and you've been pushed and you've under pressure and godliness and righteousness and goodness comes out of you, we know what you've been putting into you. So what do we do when we're attacked? You maintain a spirit-filled life. You, you keep pressing into the Holy Spirit. 
You keep pressing into God. You keep pressing into that moment, that intimate moments in the morning when you spend with Jesus. You spend time with him. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But it is Jesus who lives in me and the life I now live, I live uh, by faith for the one who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9, he says this, that if you are full of the Spirit, then you live in the Spirit. That's what he says. When you are pushed back at work, at play, wherever, you stay in the Spirit. Is that hard? Yes. Impossible? No. Because with God, all things are possible. Here's number two. You choose courage. You don't run away like a girl. You don't dot somebody's eye. You don't slander when you've been slandered. You don't retaliate. Whose job is it to take care of any type of retribution and retaliation? It's his. It's his. It's not yours. You're not the retaliator. You don't do that. You trust God. You trust him. And you let him take care of it. Because in the end, it's all going to be settled. It's all going to be settled. And you never know. You just may receive that crown of life, that Stephanos, that crown where you have stood firm in the midst of pressure and of persecution. And here's number three. I want you to consider your countenance. What I mean by that is this. Glow like you've been in the presence of God. In other words, let people see the goodness of life and the goodness of God on your face. Sometimes believers look like they've been sucking on some dill pickles. Are you with me? We all know that life is hard. Yeah. We all know that life is difficult. We all know that. We can't change it. We can't do anything about that. And it does nobody any good for us as believers as Jesus Christ to walk around thinking that life is just all miserable and sad. We've got the King of Kings that live inside of us. We've got the Lord of Lords. That doesn't mean that we just laugh and smile at everything. There are moments when we've got to be serious and we've got to do the right thing and that's tough. But you can still do the difficult things and have a godly countenance on your face. Amen? You can still do what's right and you can still show others Jesus Christ through your face. Psalm 34 says this, those who look to him are radiant. Isn't that good? Those look to him are radiant. Ecclesiastes 8 says this, a man's wisdom makes his face shine. Jesus said in Matthew 13, the righteous, the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Does your face glow? Does your face glow? Gosh, I sure hope so. And the only way it's going to glow is when you spend your intimate time with the Heavenly Father. 
let me close with this story. I've already gone long. This is a long story. There's a story back in the 1850s that some group of people found some gold in Montana in a river. They find the gold, they don't have the right tools, and a couple other people got sick. So they decided as a group to go back into town for a couple of weeks to recover and to get the tools. But they made a covenant with one another, don't you tell anybody we found gold. Because if you tell somebody we found gold, we ain't got no gold. Don't tell anybody. Two weeks went by. They didn't tell anybody. Two weeks went by. They all left. That group that found the gold, they left. Started headed through the river where they found the gold. But this group turned around and saw about 50 to 60 people following them. This original group began to talk to them. Did you tell anybody? Did, did, did you tell anybody? No, I didn't tell anybody we, had, we found gold. Did you? I didn't tell anybody. Well, who told, who told them? What are they doing? So finally, somebody in the group went over to this group as follow them and said this, uh, why, why are you following us? And the group said this, y'all found gold. How, how, how did you know that? We saw it on your face. We saw it on your face. others see Jesus in your face? Do others see Jesus in your face? Man. Do others see Jesus in your face? Let's pray. Father, oh, may we be a people where our face would shine like an angel in the midst of persecution that will come, in the midst of the attacks that will come, in those moments where we are slandered, when we are ridiculed, may we look unto you, the author, the perfecter, and the finisher of our faith, and oh God, may our faces glow for you. And Father, there's somebody here this morning who has not come into a right relationship with you. I pray now, if you're listening, if you're that person, that you'd give your life to Christ. You would die to yourself and follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior because he is the true gold. Father, I pray that you would grant to us courage and wisdom and power as we stand against those who push back. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.